0: Hi everyone, the reading is from Romans 3, starting at verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thank you.
1: Um, so good morning. Uh, as Christy mentioned this morning, is Palm Sunday, and, and um, it's the the day we celebrate or remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem triumphantly. Um, and um, but this morning we're also looking at uh, part of our series, the heart of the gospel, as we look towards Easter, thinking about well, what is actually accomplished on the cross. And so Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem as the king they were saying hail the king of the Jews or depending on which gospel you read um, glory to the son of David which um, might sound like less kind of huge than saying hail to the king but but to be called the son of David was actually so much more it meant he wasn't just a, 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 a an everyday king he was the messiah he was the promised one who'd come and, and so there was this triumphal entry into Jerusalem which is kind of modeled on on Caesar's entering into Rome in triumph and it was this glorious occasion and then within a week they killed him. And so we think about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as this triumphal moment and then there's this apparent defeat. But the Bible actually talks about this apparent defeat on the cross as a triumph, as the victory. And so this morning I want to talk about, well, what is accomplished on the cross? What is the triumph of the cross? Um, And so the Bible talks about the cross itself as a triumph. Not as a defeat, it says, and having disarmed, and we're going to pick up the context of this verse later on, but it says in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so the Bible points us towards this, this apparent defeat, this death of Jesus on the cross, less than a week after he'd been welcomed as king, as the triumph. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the message of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So to those that don't believe in Jesus, the cross is this crashing defeat that comes after this triumph that Jesus had of being welcomed as king. But the writer of this passage of Paul goes on to say, but to those who are being saved, that's those who have faith in Jesus, it's the power of God. And so the cross turns our idea of, of what it means to triumph on its head. The real triumph isn't Palm Sunday. The real triumph isn't the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The real victory, the real power, the real triumph is the cross. But how? How is the cross a victory? What did it achieve? And why is it so crucial to the Christian faith? And so we're going to turn to this passage that Veronica read for us this morning and a few other passages to explore. Well, what, what actually is the triumph of the cross? And so in Romans uh, Romans uh, 3, chapter verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather through the law... We've become conscious of sin. And so there's this problem of sin that the law that's meant to to shape our our behavior and our life doesn't help us to be free of. It just makes us more conscious of how far we fall short. But in this passage, it's clear that something has happened. There's this, this problem of sin. But then in the very next verse... In verse 21 we're told, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so the law has made us more conscious of sin. We have this problem, but but then Paul in Romans chapter 3 says, But now apart from the law, a righteousness has been made known through faith. But then we jump back into the problem in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But once again, the next verse tells us that something has happened. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so these verses tell us of this this great problem of sin, this issue of of falling short from God. But they also tell us that something monumental has happened. Something big has taken place. That now there's this, this righteousness that has appeared, Paul says, that comes through faith. There's this redemption, this justification that that comes to those who believe in Jesus. Something huge has happened. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this isn't just a trivial issue. This is a huge problem. Sin and falling short of the glory of God isn't just a misdemeanor offense. It means that we are completely cut off from God. And that's where uh, Steve began last week with this series looking towards Easter with the, the idea that we're lost and without hope apart from Jesus. And so this problem of sin is a huge issue because God is a holy God. Something monumental has taken place here that's been talked about in this passage but but the problem of sin is a big problem, not just for us, it's a big problem for God, not because he has sinned, he has his own sin problem. There's a problem for God in how does He express His love towards His creation that He wants to accept and welcome into His presence. We see from the Garden of Eden uh, that, that story that God's desire has always been to be with His people. But how does He express that with His holiness and righteousness that cannot abide sin, that cannot tolerate our falling short of His glory? And so we see through the Old Testament these these stories, particularly through Exodus and, and that that uh, deliverance out of Egypt and and the, the presence of God manifesting itself through that time of, of of this kind of boundary being drawn between God and His people, lest they be destroyed in His presence. We see it in Isaiah where he has this dream where he's in heaven, um, and he's in the throne room of heaven and he sees the glory of the Lord and his response is woe to me, I'm undone. This is my end, I'm I'm a sinner in the presence of the Lord and that equals my complete destruction. And so this sin that's spoken of here, this missing the mark that's spoken of here is a, a huge issue. We are all objects of God's wrath, we're told. That's what we deserve, is God's judgment, His wrath, His punishment. For our sin but so how has this great reversal taken place how how now can paul say well we were that we were fallen short of god's glory we were sinners and and the lord didn't help us it made us just more aware of sin but now this righteousness has appeared now we've been justified how does this happen how has this happened this needs to be explained. This needs to be This space needs to be filled with something. Because God can't just ignore sin and still be holy. Sin needs its answer. So what happened? Well, the cross. The cross is what happened between this space of all of us falling short, yet all of us being justified. And so Paul goes on in Romans chapter 3 to say, God presented Christ. This is his answering of this gap between the two things that we've been talking about, this, this monumental re- reversal. This is Paul answering, well, what happened? He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith god presented jesus that's what happened between our falling short our brokenness our missing the mark our sin and our being justified and declared righteous by faith god presented jesus the first word i want to pick out that 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 happens here is redemption God presented Jesus, and, and the word there, redemption, as a redeeming sacrifice. Uh, and so we might more think of the idea of redemption as, I've done something really good to redeem myself. Like, you know, I've made Carl embarrassed in front of everybody, so now tomorrow I'm going to have to be really nice to Carl to redeem myself. But, but the idea of redemption in, in the biblical context is the paying of a ransom. It, it's, it's when you redeem someone from slavery, you pay a ransom to redeem them. And so what has the cross done in this space? Well, it has redeemed us. The blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross is a redemption, a payment of ransom for us. The cross is God presenting Jesus Christ as a ransom payment for our freedom. But then in verse 25, if we go back there, it says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Who uses the word atonement in their everyday kind of language five or six times a day? (laughs) Scripture teachers, yeah. (laughs) One hand and it was the scripture teacher. and so this word atonement is not something that we're overly familiar with. And, and so it, like to translate the English word, it means the action of making amends, the payment for wrong. And so it's kind of connected with that idea of paying a ransom, but now it's paying for something that has been done wrong. Um, the original Greek word here is hilasterion. Who uses that every day in their conversation? Not even a scripture teacher. Uh, And what it actually refers to is what's called the mercy seat, which was the kind of lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And why that is significant is because what would happen with that lid of the Ark of the Covenant, one day a year, it would come into play. One day a year, the high priest would take blood into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant sat and sprinkle blood on top of this mercy seat And this was the space that um, it it was that that God manifested His presence. And the whole purpose of that was for atonement. That the sprinkling of blood in that place of the sacrificed animals atoned for the people's sin for that year. And, and, And so now this is saying, Paul is saying in Romans that that Jesus is now both this sacrifice of atonement and the place in which atonement happens. Jesus was given by God as a sacrifice of atonement. He was given by God to perform the act. His blood was given to be the act that atones for sin. And so, like in theological terms, in theological colleges, you, you you will hear the phrase substitutionary atonement. Do you use that one? Not every day, substitutionary atonement. And what that means is that this act of atonement, this gift of Jesus' blood for atonement, is substitutionary. That means He's not atoning for His sin, He's uh, atoning for someone else's. And that someone else is you and me. Jesus is God Himself, offering himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. Hebrews 10.10 tells us that, and that will, and by that will, that's by God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, the difference with Jesus now, been the Hestelah, I can't even say it now, the mercy seat the 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 atoning sacrifice the difference with jesus is it's not something that has to be done every year we no longer need a high priest to go into the holy of holies to sprinkle the blood of animals into that place to atone for the people's sin each and every year the difference is that jesus has done that once and for all god gave him as a as a sacrifice of atonement and and for us it it might be a little bit hard to understand these religious kind of terms these sacrificial terms we haven't lived in a world where where there was a temple and now we can say oh okay i get it we no longer do the temple thing because jesus did the cross thing Um, and so elsewhere paul gives us legal language and so we might be more familiar with the idea of a courtroom and so this is this is paul describing this same thing but now in legal terms and he says when you were dead in your sins, so it's this same idea of a of a reversal when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh god made you alive with christ so it's this great reversal from sin to life and he says he forgave us all our sins and and here's where Paul puts that same idea of an atoning sacrifice, but in legal terms. He says, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And then it goes on to talk of the cross's triumph that we read before. And so what Paul is saying is that our charges were nailed to the cross. Now, we know in the Gospels that what was nailed above Jesus' cross was Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. But what would happen is when someone was crucified uh, in Roman times, they would (coughs) nail their charges to the cross above their head. And so what would be listed there is the reason that they were being crucified. What would be listed there would be, in a sense, their, their guilt, their legal charges or in, in terms of the cross, their sins. And so what Paul is saying is, above Jesus' head, nailed to the cross, even though we know in literal sense it said King of the Jews, what Paul is saying in spiritual terms, what was nailed up there was your sin. So we might think, we actually think of, oh, well, Jesus was nailed to the cross. And of course he was, and that's where my sin was nailed. But hanging above Jesus' head as he hung on the cross in spiritual terms was not his sin, because he was without sin, but yours and mine. Our list of charges. And so what Paul is saying is that once and for all, Jesus has atoned for us, once and for all, Jesus on the cross, has been punished for our list of sins. It's the same truth, but in legal terms, instead of religious terms. God presented Jesus Christ as atoning sacrifice in our place. And then the next verse in Romans chapter 3, he says, in verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so that's a bit of a tongue twister of a sentence, but but what Paul is saying is that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice to be just. Sin must be punished, sin must be punished in full God's wrath and anger against sin must be fully poured out if he is to be consistent with who he is, and that is holy and we can get a sense for we might go, well why does God actually have to punish sin but but who's ever been upset? you know they've been watching the news or reading the newspaper or 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 you know on the internet reading the news and And they've heard, you know, so-and-so is convicted of a crime and got, like, 18 months for it. Who's ever been upset about how low someone's charge has been? For, you know, you're allowed to move your arms in church, even though we're Baptists, some of us at least. And so this taps into that sense of justice that we have of, like, they did that and they got this penalty. That is just not right. That, That sin deserves a greater punishment than that. Later on in Romans, Paul reminds us that the wages of sin are death. And so sin demands a punishment if God is to remain holy and righteous. If God is to be just, then sin must be completely punished and given its full due if Jesus, if God was just to go, okay, I don't care about sin anymore, then he's not the kind of God we'd want to worship. That's not a just God. And so this verse in Romans 3.26 is saying God is fully just. He cares about sin. He's holy. He does not let sin go unpunished. Sin is punished in full. Those wrongs that have been done to you have been punished in full. God has already brought about justice upon them, but he's not just just, he's the one who justifies. He's the one who justifies because he's poured out punishment fully and completely, but he's poured it out upon himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son as an atoning sacrifice. He's given his son and his son has participated willingly, saying, not my will, but your will be done, and of stepping into that place of, I will be the one in which all of the wrath of God for sin will be poured out upon. And so God is just. He has punished sin. He's punished the sins committed against you. He has already brought about justice, but He's also the one that justifies because He's poured out that wrath on Himself so that not just the sins committed against you have been punished, but the sins that you have committed. Not in your body, but in the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so through faith in Jesus, we can now be justified. We can now be free from the punishment of sin. And so that means that sin is dealt with. To pick out that phrase from Hebrews, once and for all, sin has been dealt with. There is no punishment left for sin. Big picture, sin has been dealt with fully and completely on the cross. Now that, of course, in case you haven't noticed, doesn't mean that there's not further sins that uh, are committed. But the punishment for those sins that have been committed in the past, that are being committed right now, that will be committed in the future, those sins have been punished big picture sin has been dealt with but in our own world in our own life our sin has been dealt with your sin has been dealt with on the cross 2,000 years ago plus or minus uh, depending on how we read the calendar 2,000 years ish ago your sin was dealt with once and for all because God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, because God presented Jesus as a ransom payment for your redemption, because God presented Jesus who went to the cross not with a list of his own sin nailed to it as his charges, but your sin nailed to it as his charges. And so now you're justified. And so that is why the cross is a triumph. It's almost like a, a logic puzzle of how how does God remain holy, but yet make holy those who have sinned and, and, and through the cross is the triumph in which Jesus brings together both the love and the holiness of God and expresses both completely and fully. You could sum it all up in perhaps more simple terms with what Paul says in two Corinthians five, verse twenty one. God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. All of our charges were listed and nailed to his cross. All of the weight of our sin was placed upon his shoulders. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we, sorry, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the triumph of the cross. That you and I, who are sinners, who've fallen short of the glory of God, who have missed the target, who are worthy of wrath, the triumph of the cross is that through Jesus, God has made you. The righteousness of God so we're going to get our worship team to come and play and I'm going to pray and before we start to sing we will sing a final song in the moment and we won't linger here too long because our kids have been great and patient this morning and uh, morning tea awaits and uh, we've got a busy day ahead with Messy Church to come and um, so we're just going to start to play. And I'm going to pray. and We're just going to pause for a moment with those words still on the screen. Thanks, Pete. And as we head into Easter, some of us are going away over the Easter weekend or, or, or just the busyness of school holidays and things like that. Um, it can be a, a season in which we don't have much time for reflection. And so we're just going to take this moment for a few minutes with those words on the screen to reflect on the triumph of the cross in our own life. To reflect on the truth that God made him who had no sin to be your sin so that you might become the righteous. And So Father, as we pause for this moment, to reflect on the triumph of the cross in our own life and over our own sin. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would transform our hearts with the truth of the triumph of the cross. That Jesus' sacrifice of atonement on our behalf would be made real in our life. That accusations of Come from the enemy or from others that, that want to label us and pin our guilt and shame upon us. We pray that these words would be emblazoned in our heart and mind. That God made him who was without sin my sin, so that now I am the righteousness of God. So I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that as we pause for this moment, that you would convict us that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been made righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love like for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.